I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Very welcome to episode 163 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host, and I'm joined by somebody on the complete opposite side of the world today. It took me a number of weeks, but we finally got there in the end, and I'm delighted to welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, Rachel Gillespie. Rachel, how's it going? Hey, how's it going on the other side of the world? It's night time for you and morning for me, so... <laughs> yeah, so good morning and good night, good afternoon and good evening. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, took, it, it took us a number of weeks, but you know what? I'm delighted to have you on here and to kind of hear your story in relation to photography because I know it's going to be an interesting story and I'm looking forward as well to you discussing you know, the different aspects of how photography has changed you and the people around you as well because that's, for me, what I love about photography photography you know it's it's a it's a hobby but it's something that you can get really immersed into and I think you know your story is going to really give us an insight into that I hope anyway <laughs> I hope so too no it's amazing <laughs> I'm really excited because I've listened to a number of your podcasts on Spotify and I was like oh this is so cool <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and well, of did... course the uh the laughs is always a, a nice added bit to a, to a photography well, podcast yeah, you can't be what? all too serious all the time you can't be all too serious <laughs> no you, you have to have a joke now and then you know what I mean so hopefully we can yeah. find a few jokes as well as we go through today and I think absolutely like, with, with that in mind I suppose you know before we even go any further who is Rachel? Wow, yeah, great question. Um, I am a female astrophotographer, but also have sort of pretty much turned into a landscape photographer as well. Um, I pretty much say I'm an adventure photographer, and that's my logo, because all the places I go are pretty epic. Um, you know, people come from all over the world to go to the places that are just down the road for me. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, pretty lucky and blessed in that way, I guess. And uh, I'm a mum. I have three amazing children and they are 15, 13 and 10. So my life is pretty busy and I've been raising mm -hmm. them on my own for 10 years. So um, photography is my passion and my um, you know, escape as well, I guess, to a fair degree. And I've just been absolutely so lucky to make it into a business and make it into a life. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty, pretty dedicated to my camera as much as I am to my family. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like all the journey I've been on has um, actually taken me here. And uh, I've got so much more to still do, but pretty, pretty cool to be able to be a full-time photographer in this industry, um, especially in this current times. Absolutely. You know, I think the camera is something that we have in our hand and we take it for granted to a certain extent, but it can bring you to so many different places and allow you to meet so many different people and see so many different sites. And that's, I think, the big draw that people have from a adventure photography, as you call it, um, because, you know, there's so many different types of photography that's out there. But the outdoors is something for me anyway. Um, and I've said a number of times on the podcast is that, you know, I, I will never do anything other than outdoor photography because I don't have to pose a rock. I mean, a rock <laughs> is going to stand there for me, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, and when you can see so many different sights and, and scenes and capture them in an image, I mean, for me, that's when you can look at them afterwards. It brings back the memories. So it's interesting you say, you know, that it has changed your life because it does. Every decision that you make in life 
right up as far as this point has led you to the moment that we're here talking right now. And we're going to talk about photography and, and, and how immersive it can be, I suppose. And that's an interesting thing in how we kind of get started in photography, because it's not something that you start out and go, this is what I want to be for my career. So how did you get started in photography? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, you just said a couple of things that really um, spoke to me as well. So like I started out um, actually working in tourism, um, doing a had my own travel magazine and okay. I had always just taken pictures with my phone um, but mind you prior to that in my early 20s I had traveled overseas and um, you know taken photos with a, a film camera but I was certainly wasn't a photographer at that point um, and so yeah I just well, through my travel magazine I just got in connection with a lot of photographers because I wanted pictures Okay. And then I was sort of like, okay, I'm only having, my model is that I'm only having high-end pictures. That's the only thing that's going to happen in my magazine. I'm not having any mediocre photography. So I was very lucky just through, uh, I guess, a bunch of um, what I'd call universe guiding me or whatever, um, mm -hmm. to meet some really amazing New Zealand photographers who are at the top of their game. And one of those photographers was a guy called Mark G from The Art of Night, okay. um, who is very well known in New Zealand for astrophotography. So he lived in Wellington. I lived in Kaikoura, which is basically across this Cook Strait. So between the two islands of the North and the South Island of New Zealand, um, and you can actually see the Kaikoura Ranges from Wellington, which is our capital city um, in New Zealand. And um, he had taken this amazing picture, you know, idiosyncrasies and things that happen in, in, in divine timing. He had taken this picture of the Kaikoura's sunset uh, and posted it on social media. And somehow or rather it popped up in my newsfeed and I was like, oh, wow, that's a cool picture. And I just messaged him and said, hey, would I be able to, share that picture on my Facebook page and he was like yeah sure go for it so I had no idea who he was I knew nothing about astrophotography I'd never even really had any concept of the whole thing and uh, went and had a look at his page to tag him in and I was like oh wow this is cool this is a whole nother <laughs> world that I don't know about you know um, mm -hmm. and then I realized where I was living um, and a lot of other places in the South Island, particularly, is around the dark skies, um, the International Dark Sky Reserves, which we have here, which are pretty, mm -hmm. something I'll talk about later, which are pretty exceptional. And, uh, you know, until you get into this sort of thing, you don't even know they exist. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I was like, wow, this is cool. This is this is amazing. Who is this guy? So I started sort of, you know, having a good old snoop around on social media. As you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, I love this whole astrophotography thing. What is this? So um, I literally, I, it was in, in a time in my life when I had first become a single parent and I had a lot of passion and drive to be successful because I had no other option basically mm -hmm. and I just said to him hey would you come and do a workshop down here and he was like yeah why not and I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> so it was just one of those scenarios where uh, I got propelled kind of into it real quick wow. um, you know I'm passionate about the stars and the Milky Way from I've got quite a, a connection with spirit and things in terms of my 
um, energy and I've always had that and I didn't really understand much about what how how that impacted me as an astrophotographer at the start but now I do mm-hmm. um, and the Milky Way galaxy is um, you know has always been something I've been fascinated by but didn't really understand much about at that time and um, so we went on this big long-winded um, you know couple of year journey of working together and so I became his um, doing a lot of uh, his social media. I did all his Twitter and Facebook and ran all that for him. So he actually works for um, Weta Digital, which makes all the big movies out in Hollywood for like Avatar and and all of that and uh, Peter Jackson movies. So um, yeah, it was just really cool connection and we became really good mates and he helped me quite a lot with my business in terms of supporting, you know, what I was trying to achieve, which was so cool. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'd always known because I'd always been in business for myself about joint ventures and, you know, just having people that you could work together with, um, uh-huh. et cetera. And, you know, I learned a lot of really cool things. So, um, and I'll talk a bit more about social media later too, because I think that's also something that's changing rapidly at the moment. And it's quite interesting for photographers because we can get so caught up with all of that and it's not mm-hmm. even important, mm-hmm. especially now in life, it's not important. But it's useful. It's a tool. Um, it, yeah, it is. It is. And and you know what's interesting? You said there about you know seeing one photograph and going, "Wow, look at this!" in the sunset point of view. And then you kind of learn about the stars. I mean, yeah. most people when they first take an astrophotography photograph, they go, "Wow, is this there all the time?" Yeah, it's there all the time. <laughs> yeah. You just don't see yeah. it, you know. Yeah. And it's it's a whole different world per se, or many different worlds if you want to look at it in that way, because you're looking out into the past, you're looking out into the to the distance of space, and like astrophotography is not an easy genre uh, from a photography point of view to 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 get into but when you get into it it's amazing because it just completely opens your eyes to the things that have always been there but yeah. you, you, you you never even know what exists and I, I i remember when i first started in photography I, there was a, a guy he's based in tenerife uh, nico martin was his name and he was a phenomenal photographer and i remember looking at the time going wow geez if only i could get photographs like that and, you know and yeah. i was thinking I would never have been able to get it here in Ireland, but you can, but I would never even thought that I could have ever had it possible yes. until I go out there and put myself in the scene to go, no, let's see what I can see. Now, of course, clouds, you know, Ireland, we're famous for our clouds. So that is one challenge that we have from an astrophotography point of view. But I mean, it's definitely something that I think by getting out into the, the outdoors and getting out at night, you're you're in a whole different time sphere let's just say because oh, you're absolutely you're, you're on the night shift when everybody else is kind of on the day shift um and like when you mentioned about astrophotography have you got a style or would you have you tried other types of photography <laughs> have you done you know the, the traditional say weddings you know christenings and portraiture and stuff like that or have you just always been outdoor yeah yeah good question um yeah so I've, i st- I've, no one told me astrophotography was hard so i didn't know that i was just like <laughs> oh yeah cool i'll do this <laughs> um yeah so people you say this to me all the time when i started like wow you're doing that as your first genre and i'm like yeah what's yeah and what's that about like <laughs> i didn't even know um yeah. so <laughs> i suppose that was part of me it's kind of my personality i'm a bit of a okay i don't know quite exactly all how to go about it but i'm gonna get do that so it's just how i think i I think i'm very creative i'm very um, visually oriented i'm not that technical 
but I have a 50-50 left-right brain, so I can actually learn the technical and just teach it and all of that, which I do in my, in my work now. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of the start, at the start, I was honestly winging it. Like I was just like, okay, show me what to do. What are the settings? How do I do it? And I just, I think my, because of where I was at in my life, I um, personally, I just was so excited and I think a lot of what I created was just total immersion into astrophotography because I virtually spent all my time outside of being a mum, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, talking to photographers. Um, I actually ended up closing my magazine down just to be a professional photographer wow. after after about two years, which is real quick. So mm-hmm. I, I, it was interesting because um, I'll talk about that too a bit later, but um you know, entering an industry where you have no experience, people were quite quite interesting to deal with at times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, that didn't phase me. I just was like, you know what, I've got the results. I'm going to do this. I don't know quite know how it's all going to happen, but I'm going to get mm-hmm. into it and give it a go. I've give got nothing go, yeah. to lose. Um, so I started out with, um, I bought a Canon 6D Mark One, and I bought a 24 to 105 uh, good choice f f3.5 lens and then a guy i know chris pigman who was quite a good photographer here he gave me because i couldn't afford to buy anything else so it was all the money i had mm-hmm. um he gave me an astro lens and it had a bit of a slight issue with it where the focal uh, ring was a slight loose so every single time i took a photo i had to refocus every single wow. time now, at that moment, I had no idea that that was quite a big deal. I just was like, oh, yeah, this is what I've got to work with, so this is yeah. what I'll do, you know. Yeah. I had the shittiest, <laughs> shittiest tripod you've ever seen. Um, it was just a wee travel tripod. That was all I could afford. So I was like, right, oh, this is what I've got. And I was looking yeah. around me at all the people who had all this, you know, $50,000 worth of camera gear. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I don't have that, but I do know that I've got talent and I've got tenacity, tenacity. and determination. And so if I'm going to make this work, what I've got to do is go out more times than everyone else, do more clicks than everyone else, practice, learn, listen, you know. Mm-hmm. And I reckon that was actually the, the making of my photography way back then and so I often go back to that I often take myself back I'm like five years down the track now um, which is still quite new um, but I often take myself back to let's just keep it simple go back to the basics um, I shoot quite different now than I did then like back then I was people were shooting 30 seconds um, sort of exposures whereas now I'm probably more 15 to 20 seconds to get a sharper star and all that so I didn't mm-hmm. know all that back then but it didn't matter yeah. um so I was super lucky on the first time I went out with for a whole week um in the Araki McKenzie area which is a gold rated dark sky reserve okay um I was just with a mate of mine who was a photographer he taught me some stuff I'd already been working with Mark and then we had I had this one guy who was a client of mine who wanted to go on this week adventure. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take you. <laughs> so <laughs> I was do, just yeah. like, okay. <laughs> and um, so I took my mate with me who was, you know, Talmud Madsen. He was really good at photography and we all got on real well. And, and we just had this incredible week. It was like, you know, the gods were looking down on us basically because we went to Lake Tekpo, um, Church of the Good Shepherd. We went to Araki Mount Cook National Park. We walked into the Hooker Valley 
which is where um, Araki Mount Cook is into the lake there. Um, that was a really amazing time. We It was minus nine um, Celsius. We had crampons. And we met all these other amazing photographers on the track, which is like a, a one and a half, half hour walk in. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even know who these people were, but now when I look back on it going, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, people, yeah. Like Will, people like Will Patino and, and um, oh, Laren from Shadow and Shade and, and um, you know, people like that who was just like, oh, wow, they're actually really good photographers. You know, I didn't even know who they were at the time. So <laughs> uh, we had a lot of fun and we, you know, got, that was my first real amazing astro shot was in in there and then we went back to um twizel which is where lake rotanifer is where there's a um a really good aurora spot we got a kp7 aurora there was um people like lee cook and rachel stewart and daniel murray and people like that were around the area because basically what happens here is people everybody kind of gets out in the region at the right at the same times Mm -hmm. of the year when the Milky Way is in the right place and all the rest of it. And so that you can, we kept bumping into all these amazing New Zealand photographers who are, you know, real successful. Um, and we're all taking these pictures together. And, you know, it was just like total stoke and everybody was just so excited. And I don't know, it was one of those times in your life where nothing else mattered, you know, you were just like yeah. in the zone. Yeah. Then we went to Queenstown, Lake Wanaka, did a um, sunrise doors off heli, adventure around Mount Aspiring Tatatea which is like an amazing place as well um just got some incredible shots I literally was just like shit I don't even know what I'm doing here I'm just gonna stick my camera out the window and give it a whirl you know honestly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and so you know that was my reference point for what's possible Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. so I posted like ten pictures on my Instagram the next week, and everybody was going crazy, like "What on earth is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Did you take these pictures?" Um, wow. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then I was like, maybe I've actually got some talent for this. So that was kind of the the whole thing about being, you know, t- I made a choice to be away from my children for a week. I made a choice yeah. to invest that money. Um, I made a choice to back myself. And I was very teachable because I think that's a real crucial key aspect to, mm-hmm. um, you know, who doesn't want to grow their photography and, and improve every time you go out. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. most people do. Um, and I'm still like that, you know, totally teachable, <clears throat> always really excited to listen to what other people are doing. Um, you know, I don't believe that I have all the answers for, by any means. Mm-hmm. And yet constantly learning about new gear and new new ways of doing things and, it's just so exciting and fun. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to it. And then I was like, actually, maybe I really need to think about, um, you know, what I want to do with this. And at that time, I had a lot going on um, in my life. I had, My dad passed away and I sort of moved to a different place because I wanted to be close to my mum. And, and then I uh, was like, you know, what would dad want me to do with this? He would support me in living up in the Mackenzie in the Mackenzie country and living mm-hmm. my dream because he was really amazing like that. And I decided to move there. So I moved and lived in the Dark Sky Reserve so I could wow. basically uh, propel myself, move my children, packed up everything on a trailer, moved to 
Wow. The dark sky reserve put my kids in the new school and lived basically lived there for two years um, prior in 2018 19 prior to COVID and that changed my life really um, because I started working with um, big luxury lodges doing astro guiding which no one else was doing I was the only person in the region that was actually offering that at the time as a, as a photographer like as a you know as an independent photographer quite a few people do it now but um that just propelled me into the industry I got headhunted by quite a few companies and at that time I was still probably winging it a fair bit (laughs) (laughs) you know and and I got a lot of um you know I got a lot of jealousy and stuff too which was really interesting I had to deal with that um you know you can imagine what that can be like sometimes Mm -hmm. and being female astrophotographer is actually quite an interesting thing here Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. getting better it's getting better but you know back then it was quite an unusual thing to be doing as a business mm-hmm. um there's heaps more women doing it now these days but um yeah it was awesome and so I got to work with you know these amazing clients from um the Ahariri Valley which is out in the middle of nowhere it's probably the darkest place in the South Island I've been to so far okay. and it's not it's just on the edge of the dark sky reserve but um at the Lindis Lodge and they um, had these amazing clients, people from the US who were, you know, FBI and all sorts of crazy scenarios. Wow. They just wanted to come out and see the Milky Way because they'd see six stars in the sky from San Lake Francisco Pollution. or whatever. Yeah. 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 And they were so down to earth. And, you know, I've always believed that everybody's the same. No one's better than me or whatever. And um, so we, you know, we'd just go out and they'd just be, we'd all just be nobodies, if you know what I mean, under the mm-hmm, stars. And it was yep. so cool. And they just absolutely were so excited to see, you know, these things. And a lot of the time they'd just lie down on the ground and lie yeah, there. Just and, take it all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so then it became like a thing where it became, it wasn't lost on me how amazing it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, I think, propelled my heart and soul more into photography in a way where I realised that this is actually an incredible um, opportunity for me to change my life because I pretty much started from scratch after I left my husband. I went through um, domestic abuse and women's refuge. I had to start over. And, um, you know, it gave me the, the drive and ambition. So I had a really amazing business going and then 2020 came along and completely ruined that. So um, yeah. That yeah. is how, but you know, in, in hindsight, it was a pretty tough time, but um, in hindsight, that was when I started doing workshops with Kiwis. So, you know, sometimes you look back and go, hmm, okay, that was tough. However, look what I've actually created mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've got this, um, you know, whole new uh, vibe going where people are starting to come back here and you know tourism is starting to become more of a a thing and uh, you know we've been had our borders closed for a long time so that's really affected the whole country because we're only five million people Mm -hmm. it has Mm -hmm. a massive impact on the entire nation it's not just a small thing for us so um, you know a lot of people have been through a lot here like everywhere I guess but um, everyone knows somebody who's lost their business everyone knows somebody who's lost a person etc it's Mm -hmm. you know it's a small place and Mm -hmm. um so I think what I'm starting to realize now even more is that I'm still here 
a lot of people are not. I've still mm-hmm. got my business. Yes, it's been a challenge, but you know, all the stuff I've been through in my life, this has prepared me for this because I'm tough. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID's I've... not COVID's not the worst thing I've been through. So, <laughs> you yeah, know. I... And you know what? I think you you hit on a couple of interesting things there. You know about like not having to rely on the externals, let's just say, of people coming in from tourism point of view to be able to do it yeah. with Kiwis. And like you've mentioned a number of places there to me that roll off the tongue, but I've never heard of them before because it's on the other side of the world. But they're areas I'm sure that they're absolutely drop dead gorgeous and you know epic places. I mean. It's handy in a way, as you say, for your playground to be so incredible. But, you know, the fact that you moved to a dark sky area to completely immerse yourself in that, I think, is one hats off because you could say, OK, I could do all this commuting back and forth. No, what's the point? Let's immerse myself completely within that and give yourself the, the best opportunity to be able to get out there as often as you can hit the camera click more often than others, get better faster and fast track, you know, your career, your business, your opportunities. So I think, I think hats off to you in relation to, to, to doing that, because it is something which is, you know, admirable. Um, and particularly as you say as well, in an environment where from a female point of view, it's not that many doing it, but now there's more and more. And, you know, you probably see yourself as you know, maybe the, 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 the the, the leader in relation to showing that it's possible that others can say, okay, you know what, if she can do it, then I can do it. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hats off thank to you, you in relation to it. Um, yeah. Thank you. I'm not sure if I see myself as a leader, but I think I'm definitely probably the first one to have kind of given it a good whirl as a business that I'm, that I know of anyway. There's a couple of people up probably North that have done it as well, but because I have a business background, um, I, I had different skills I brought to it. It wasn't just photography. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's it too. And, and just in, to um, add to that, in 2021, uh, my younger brother passed away. So, you know, we've had a bit of a journey in our family. Wow, yeah. Um, and so I moved an hour and a half away from the reserve to because I, my mum now lives with me. And, um, you know, we lost dad and then we lost my brother and that's, there's only me and my mum left. So, and my kids. So, um, you know, it was one of those occasions where sometimes you have to make a hard decision and it was the right decision for the family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now I still have to drive an hour and a half, but it's still close. It's still easy. It's still, and, and then I've just diversed into other areas. So, as much as I work in the McKenzie, yet again, another COVID benefit, if you want to call it that, is, that I now work in Fiordland, Kaikoura, the West Coast, and, and um, other places, because I am now I'm in a bit of a middle in the middle zone of the base of all these things. So, okay. um, yeah, I'll talk a bit more about that later on as well. But you know, I guess that whole thing of living in that area for those two year period as people got to know my work and my work spoke for itself, and I think that's also crucial. And I want to talk about that later as well in terms of. If you are listening to this and you want to get out there and find a way to make your photography, your life and your business and your income, it's totally doable. But there's a few key things to, mm-hmm. um, you know, implement that will make it so much easier and quicker. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm quite passionate about as well, because I just know what it's done for me and my family and all the amazing places that we go to because of what I do. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Photography full-time is not for everyone either, so that's another thing. But, um, 
yeah some people would get bored of it but in, in answer to your question earlier which i haven't answered no i've never done weddings or any of that stuff um portraits it's not i've it's not my jam really to be honest um it's i could do it but it's not where my passion lies um mm-hmm. the other thing i do quite a lot of in the mckenzie is i take people on guided trips on the glacier so we have a couple of big glaciers here that are um you know amazing ice caves and all sorts of cool stuff so you know mm-hmm. we really do live in an, in an incredible country with so many uh options you can pretty much you know choose probably from a hundred different places that you could work from mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in the mckenzie i've probably got 25 spots that i would take people nice. to over a workshop that are real close to each other um you know it's just it's a very very uh diverse landscape lots of different colors in the mckenzie they talk about the layers so it has a base layer of tussock which is a sort of a brown or yellow dry Mm -hmm. country then you've often got a blue lake that beautiful aqua blue color um, which is snow fed from those glaciers and then you've got a row of mountains and then you've got your skies so you've got these different color palettes then you go to somewhere like fiordland which is green and often raining and and you're probably almost a bit like ireland in a way yeah um you know it's a it's a darker shadowy um kind of an environment completely different and it's the sea so you know there's lakes there's seas there's mountains there's stars there's glaciers like i mean it's a bit like going to iceland or somewhere like that i guess and we Uh forget i think we forget in new zealand how lucky we are we Mm -hmm. often just you know, we're brought up here, and if you don't necessarily go to other places, you don't always realize. Um, it's on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I just feel like my whole life is a privilege to capture it, to share it. I, I would, I would agree with you, and you know, it's interesting. You mentioned about you know having so many different diversities to photograph. Um, I often think the same about Ireland. You know, I'd say that we've got pretty much everything except for a desert. Um, we've got forests. We don't have rainforests, but it rains a lot, so let's call it a rainforest, right? Um, but we've everything bar, bar a desert and glaciers for, the, for that matter. But we've got the remnants of old glaciers from the Ice Age and such like that. And it's, it's incredible when you say, you know, you've got 25 areas there in the Mackenzie's you can bring people to, that yeah. people that would probably pass by them that would live in the area and not even know that that beauty is just that little bit extra, small bit of a hike in, and all of a sudden this whole world open so i think having that as a playground is something you know i've often thought about going to new zealand to take photos i mean i you know admired a number of photographs from many different people over the years but i would never know how to get to any of these places so if i went over and i said you know what i'm going to wing it on my own i'd spend most of my time driving around like a headless chicken trying to find these areas and not find any of them without the local knowledge and having somebody there to know those areas it's perfect for somebody coming in or even for somebody local yeah yeah you're right and you know if you come over here just hit me up i'll take you to a few spots but um yeah yeah, uh, i think it's uh um it's like everybody comes and goes to the top 12 monica trees and all that which Mm -hmm. is fine you know there's no nothing wrong with that but um for me i just i i love going off the beaten track i love find finding little nooks and crannies as we call them over here Mm -hmm. um finding places that people haven't been to um find you know for me in my career i've learned a lot um you know about the key things to teach people because when i did guiding at the luxury lodges and stuff with the stars um i used pretty much every camera gear 
because I had to use the clients' cameras and set them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, change all the settings for Astro, which most of them had only shot on auto before. Yes. Um, never taken an Astro shot in their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, get the odd client who's done a couple of shots, but they don't have their camera set up properly. And so, you know, yet again, had pressure was on, propelled to learn how to do stuff quick. There was no time to muck about. And I suppose that's maybe a talent of mine that I just trust myself that I'll figure it out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I've used every pretty much every camera you've you brand out there, um, and I think just teaching and learning, teaching them the basics over and over and over on repeat, and then teaching them about composition, which I think is also a really crucial mm-hmm. part here yeah. in this country. Yeah. And it is everywhere, but you know, in this country, you you can stand in one spot and get a cool picture, and then you can move to a different spot and obviously get an epic picture, and that that yeah. happens a lot. Um, and you see that on workshops and you'll know this if you're taking people places and that you uh, take 10 people to one location and you end up with 10 different photos. I love that about photography. I think that's yeah. so cool yeah. that everybody yeah. puts their creative stamp um, of their own. It's like a fingerprint, you know, everyone's unique and we all mm-hmm. have, have um, you know, our own way of doing things. And so the cool thing about that is that people then start to follow you and go, oh, I know that was one of your pictures, you know. Um, because you do get a vibe, you do get a, if you shoot enough pictures, and I think that's also one wee tip I'd say to people is if you're not sure what to do, just keep on shooting. Absolutely. You know, if you shoot a hundred pictures and there's only one you like, then that's cool. Don't worry about it. There's yep. no rules. That's the thing I think I love because I'm a bit of a freedom seeker. Um, there's okay. no rules. There's no rules. Do whatever you like. Yeah. <laughs> no absolutely. one's going to tell me how I'm going to take my picture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if it looks you know, right. It is right. And sometimes the settings you might use might not be quite textbook, but it doesn't matter if you get the result, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So and there's all that's that. That's important. That's important. I think that people yeah. can enjoy it as well, you know. We're also and not, be, really... not get tied up in the technical details. And, you know, sometimes you need those details. But, uh, you know, we're also really lucky here that we have um, a lot of places close together. So, you know, you go to some countries and you have to drive for three days just to get to the one spot. Well, we mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. really have that. So, and every spot you go to in a different region is a different um, flora and fauna. So, you know, that's also really quite an important part of, of what we offer here um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, running it as a, as a, a place, that, a tour or a place that people can come to and it feels like they've been to six different countries. And speaking yeah. of six different countries, where else have you visited globally taking photos? And have you ever oh, visited wow. Ireland? <laughs> I have, I, when I was young, in my 20s, which was quite a long time ago, <laughs> um, 25 years ago I travelled the world when I was 23, and um, so that makes me 48. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, so, <laughs> for my 49th year. Um, <laughs> Trip around yeah, the sun, I'm yeah. actually excited to be 50 next year. I don't know why. I just think it's cool. I don't care about age. Me too. I'm not that far off it either, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. (laughs) Most people think I'm in my thirties anyway, so I think it's the crazy, crazy crazy adventuring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I've travelled overseas when I was 23 and went to lots of countries. And at that, I think I said earlier, uh, I didn't, I wasn't really a photographer, but I had a Minolta um, film camera, camera, pretty much mostly on auto, anyway. So you know, point point and shoot <laughs> uh, but it took really good pictures I don't know if anyone 
has used a Minolta before, but they actually were really good cameras back in the day. Yeah, so I um, haven't been far overseas as a photographer because we've been stuck here in New Zealand, but um, you know, I'm really excited to go to Canada. I travelled there when I was young um, to Lake Louise and, and that whole area of Banff and all around there. I'd love to go nice. back there. Um, you know, there's tons of places in Canada, of course, that are amazing for mm-hmm. dark skies and sometimes auroras and things. I'd love to go to Iceland, Finland, Norway, all those cool places, obviously being an astrophotographer. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a bit of a passion to go to like India maybe. Um, yeah, once my kids are a bit older, that'll be probably my life. I'll be off doing workshops overseas with people because people will ask me that all the time, you know, would you Africa? I'd love to go there. I think the night skies are actually quite cool there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, Mark G's done a bit of astrophotography there at um, the Bush Tops. I don't know if you know Bush Tops, but that's quite a cool place okay. um, where you can go and stay in like safari tents out in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they'd be sort of my main ones at the moment. But yeah, I've, I've always thought Greenland would be amazing. You'd have to be fit. <laughs> yes. Greenland um, would be amazing, yeah, for sure. And being a New Zealander, Antarctica and, and all around there and, and down to the Ross Sea and all those places. And, yeah, so uh, I've got a lot of work to do to be able to afford all these things. <laughs> um, yeah, But I'm sure, yeah. you know what, if you put your mind to it and you put a, put that, that dartboard in front of you and aim towards that, I'm sure you'll achieve it in, in, in incremental pieces as well, which is the important part. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I'm really blessed because... Um, my part, I have a, a, a recently a new partner, and my partner's also a photographer. So we're really excited about um, doing. He's a professional photographer for twenty five years, and his name's Andrew. And um, we're excited on going to do some trips together as right. well. So that's really exciting um, development as well in terms of you know different stuff. And he does a lot of commercial work, so he's quite different to me. But um, you know, well, once we're get to that stage in our lives that'll be the next phase i suppose um mm-hmm, you know who mm-hmm. doesn't want to to travel and take photos in other places travel but you know it's not lost on me that we're actually pretty blessed in new zealand for all the locations um we also both want to go to scotland i reckon there'll be real good astro there what's it like there the uh, you were competing with clouds but there'll be a bit astro there yeah for sure yeah um, if you just stayed in the location for a while yeah, I mean, you probably got around four days of the year where you don't have clouds. So if you just tie it in with oh. that, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I jest. You know, I mean, in 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 the summertime, right, we can get you know in the I suppose in the Irish and Scottish areas. So you know, you do get an opportunity, all right. But they are, you know, small windows. Um, so the advantage yeah. that we have here is that if I look at the forecast, you know, I can say, okay, it's going to be clear skies tonight. I can go. Uh, chances are that it will be 50-50 chance of it being clear or not yeah. um, because you know, the, the Atlantic will, you know, the winds and the jet stream will move in so quickly above us. So that's one of the challenges that you deal with there in relation to it. But yeah, I mean, I I was in Scotland there in um, in August and um, I had nothing but clouds. I had no day of any way clear skies. Wow. You know? So yeah. it might as well have been in Ireland, I mean, for that matter. Yeah. But still at the same point, I wasn't looking for Astro, so uh, it suited me perfectly fine because I had a lot of mood and atmosphere from the you know, the, 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 the standard landscape photography. But definitely if I was going there, it would be a, kind of a, a roulette that you'd get clear skies, let's put it that way. So you'd probably be yes. spending a bit more time than whatever you expect, double that to give yourself a window, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's one of those things of weather, isn't it? We're a bit of a weather gurus here in New Zealand too because we're in an alpine environment. Our weather changes a lot rapidly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up on a farm, so we were every night it was, you know, dad was on the tally looking at the weather channel. And so we yeah. grew up with it. And now being a photographer, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with the weather as well. So, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that's, that's a lot to do with success in photography as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, becoming really good at, um, you know, the weather patterns and understanding the places you're going to to. and for me I because I'm busy with my children as well I'm always trying to map out the right place at the right time to try and be in the right spot to get the photo Um, that's probably always been a thing for me right from the start because I was very time poor and I used to get FOMO because I'd see people going out for, you know, the whole night sitting there waiting. And I'm like, geez, I've only got three hours to get this shot. Like, I've got to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and I'm still a bit like that, actually. Yeah, trying to, to, trying to, you know. And the other thing is for me, because I run workshops and I love that, it's great. But I don't take a lot of pictures when I take, when I take workshops because I'm teaching. So, um, you know, it's really exciting to factor in a few trips that are just for fun to get my own shots. For um, yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the Milky Way season, you've only got obviously so many times of the year where the moon's right, so many times of the year where the weather plays ball, etc. Um, and I guess that's the excitement of it too, isn't it? You know, you. It's a chase. Yeah. Um, you know the aurora we're quite lucky here we have the southern aurora the southern lights and um, just even down the road from my house I can find a spot that's semi-dark enough Um, we just recently had a kp7 which was pretty epic and I got a I think it was a seven image stitch panorama of the aurora yeah and a wee bit of milky way on the side just and a wee bit of jupiter there so that was quite cool um you know, and it was hard because it's not exactly the best composition. So, you know, it's quite cool to challenge yourself. And I think we forget about that a lot in New Zealand that we have, we get a bit uh, precious because we go, oh, yeah, we're not going to shoot in a certain place because there's light pollution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. realistically, most people around the world are dealing with that on the daily basis. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. good to challenge yourself to shoot in different conditions. And that's how you improve, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. And, you know, you, you mentioned there in relation to, you know, when you're out and you're not taking many photos yourself. And I mean, like we'll get into more about the workshops, I suppose, in the second part of the podcast. But I want to talk to you something about um, your approach to that, which is, you know, mentoring. And I think it's something that, you know, you're very much so an advocate of. Talk to us a bit about that approach and how do you see mentoring as being an integral part of somebody's photography journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I first started out, a lot of people in business told me I'd never make any money out of photography. So, um, you know, it's funny how people have their opinions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, well, you just wait and see. I'll show you. That, cause show that was you, my yeah. attitude, right? Um, yeah. And so I suppose I didn't really think any more of it at the time. But um, because I worked in tourism and I've always been in business for myself, um, I had I knew how to run a business. And I think that's been a big part of my success and what I've done so far. And, you know, I'm only just getting started really, but um, is that I had a formula, I had a strategy, I had a a, um, a system. Mm-hmm. And so then I just plugged in the pictures, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I think um, what I found with that as well and I didn't really I guess realize this till later on that I believed in my ability to make it work 
there was no option for it not to work and I just was I think I was brought up that way it was my dad was amazing businessman and he taught us a lot of cool um you know personal growth strategies and things just by being who he was he wasn't Mm -hmm. really trying to but um you know now in this world of age of um everybody's got a course to sell you um Mm -hmm. which is cool because we're all learning and developing but you've got to choose the right one you've got to choose you know you could spend years doing 50 courses of the same thing um i've done that too to be fair um you know (laughs) you can do you keep doing courses but there's some point you've got to apply the knowledge and yes so i um decided during you know 2020 things changed significantly that i needed to make a change if i was going to stay in business or i had to get out of it that you know i had to feed my kids so there wasn't really an option as to wait um and so the pressure was on me and i had to come up with an idea mm-hmm. and that was kind of where the um mentoring was sort of born i guess because people had time to learn mm-hmm. um i looked and made a list of all my talents and skills that i had and that was how i created my mentoring program to be fair at the start i was just like oh, i'm going to put this out there and you know maybe nobody may buy it mm-hmm. but i've got to give it a whirl um I'm probably the most unzoomed person you've ever met in your life. So um, I struggled with that and I had to embrace being online and doing video chats and stuff. Um, Yeah, so that was quite a a challenge for me as well. And, you know, so I think what's awesome about the mentoring is not only have I helped people, but I'm also growing myself. Okay. and I have my own mentors as well. So, you know, I think you never you never have all the knowledge. But what I've learned through doing these um, mentoring programs, which mostly they're one-on-one, helping people to actually get all their photography together so they can make money from it, um, whether it be print sales or commercial or whatever it is they want to do, or portraits or, you know, a lot of people do weddings and portraits and stuff, but they don't have a, a system. Mm-hmm. Um, or marketing so that's the other thing you know social media is part of that but there's a lot of other stuff you can do which I guess from my age and era we started out pre-cell phone pre-computers mm-hmm. you know we picked up, picked up the phone and dialed the, the circle yep. you know <clears throat> um, talk to real people and so I think I still lead with that with everything I do um, I'm quite blessed to have had that background plus the technology background added together um mm-hmm. and yes yeah, so the other thing that i have realized during that time and and in my life's journey um at one stage i was actually a practicing life coach and okay. so i um i think the common thread with mentoring is that people often have fear around not being good enough and all of that which us photographers can be a bit shocking at sometimes mm-hmm. um addressing mm-hmm. that helping people understand where their talent actually sits because a lot of times people do five genres of photography instead of one mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or two and you know get good at that um, basically rip it all to bits and stick it back together really um, mm-hmm. and so my job is just as a facilitator to help people you know unpack who they are what's missing what do we need to do about that how can we help you with that you know if you're not feeling confident what do you need? Does it? Do you need to shoot more stuff? Um, 
you know, and all of that. And then at the end of the day, what does the market actually want? Because that's also obviously quite a crucial question. Um, You know, who else in your area is doing what you're doing and all of that. Not to compare, but, you know, it's just good to figure that out and do something different. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the key point is it doesn't mean you can't do it if there's another successful person in the area, but you just got to change it up. What's your unique selling point? You know, all that stuff that you learn in business that's nothing new, but... Yeah. You've actually got to apply it. And like anything in life, we can learn and read a thousand books on Audible, but we're not applying it. So it's nothing's going to much change and except maybe some of our thoughts. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to actually take action steps. And I think that we've become, as a, as a, as a human race, a little bit averse to that. Um, if I can be a bit blunt, I think we... Uh, we need to take a few more risks with our dreams and goals, you know. Mm-hmm. What are we actually mm-hmm. here for? Mm-hmm. Do we actually want to get to 65, 70, 80 and go, should I wish I had done that, I had the opportunity, but I was too afraid. You know, no judgment, but you know what I mean? Like, I think if we were a bit more risk adverse and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, able to, um, sorry, a bit less risk adverse, able to be able to get out there and just back ourselves a bit more and not worry about our wife or husband or daughter or son or whatever thinks about it because this is a big Mm -hmm. part of our lives nowadays isn't it absolutely and then um you know doing it for yourself choose yourself now and again and this is something i've learned through my domestic abuse journey um that i was everybody's friend and the people pleaser and all of that no wonder I went through that bloody journey I had to learn to figure out who I was and choose myself Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been quite brutal you know you can't go through something like that without having quite a black and white thought process about it and then realizing that actually you know the only thing we actually have is is you know loving love and love and light whatever you want to call it I know that sounds a bit esoteric but it is what it is and Mm -hmm. We can spend our lives worrying about what everyone thinks about what we're doing or we can actually just choose ourselves and go and do something we enjoy and that's what I do. <laughs> and, and and I think you're dead right, you know, because like if you, even if you think about like, the area that we'll discuss in a moment as well, which is in, in workshops, right? Um, the number of people over the years that I've met that this is their first workshop that they're on and they were nervous about going on a workshop and at the very end of it, not only did they learn about photography, but they learned a lot about themselves and they, let, they yes. met a lot of great people and people that they had stayed in touch with and it's something about diving in at the deep end, feet first, you know, it's sink or swim situation, but the reality is that you will not sink because you're going to have others there that are going to help you to, to stay buoyant and even when you're looking from a, a business point of view, like Tenacity is something I think which is really, really important. I mean, it just reminds me of the, the famous story with you know Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken, who went to one thousand yeah. restaurants and said, "I want you to stop selling your chicken, but I want you to sell my chicken instead." And they all said no, but then finally one person said yes. And if he gave up after a hundred, or gave up after two hundred, or three hundred, or four hundred, we wouldn't have KFC. Some people might argue, yeah. okay, thankfully made a habit, but still, it's the same point. <laughs> I know. You know yeah, yeah, you, you, you have to back yourself. You have to say, okay, you know what? I believe in something, and come hell or high water, I'm going to continue in relation to it. But there also comes the times. It's interesting you mentioned it there through the mentoring that you know you kind of have to look at what everybody's doing, tear it apart, and then rebuild it again because somebody could be going down a completely wrong journey, banging their head off a brick wall, and not realizing that this isn't the right route. So by somebody listening on a on a, on a sideline 
be able to take all that back in, to dissect it, to, to get rid of the rubbish and to say, OK, this is where you should focus on. That's something mm. I think which people should really, really you know, be open to, because having somebody to listen to your story or listen to your challenges, it's like the old phrase, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved, right? Yeah. Um, somebody can see it and they're, they're not emotionally attached to all the things that that person has done already. You're seeing it as a simple black and white. This is going to work or that's not going to work. Lose that focus on this and this is how the route to get it so i think you know from a workshop point of view as well and actually what we'll do is we'll take a quick break and i'll come back and we'll pick this back up again i suppose in relation to how you apply that in the workshop environment so yeah we'll be right back after this if you're enjoying this episode of the podcast why not jump over to itunes or spotify and listen to the back catalog that we have with some great episodes where we talk about photography gear and some excellent guests along the way Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Talky Podcast. So, Rachel, like I would have alluded to there before the break, you know, I think from a workshop point of view, um, I really want to get into more detail on how you approach um, workshops. So I suppose, like you kind of alluded to it there in the first part of the show, but how long have you been a workshop leader and what is your approach to a workshop? Yep. Yeah, so when I first started out doing workshops, I generally went... Um, and did all the organising and set it all up and sold all the tickets and things like that and then I'd have other photographers come and teach with me because okay. I was so new um, so you know it's all been a bit always for me been about the team um, and so you know I've been very lucky to have some really cool high-end photographers work with me and then obviously through that process I've learned a lot from all of them as well and so mm-hmm. it's really only been the last couple of years that I've actually done more work on my own um, and that was, to be fair, quite a challenge to to back myself to feel that I was, um, you know, at that level. So mm-hmm. um, the great thing about that is it made me learn more new things and make sure that I had all the knowledge I wanted. Um, you know, obviously always learning, but um, yeah, I've had had some pretty amazing results um, with clients, and particularly women, women like coming out with me. And it's, I think with astrophotography, you know, it's a bit different than. Um, for females going out in the dark and all the rest of it. I mean, to yep. be fair, out in the middle of nowhere around here, you're probably safer than in the city. But mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but, you know, it's a thing. Um, so I think that's been, you know, I guess one of my little point of differences too, to some degree, that a lot of females feel safe with me. So that's been really cool. Um, and, yeah, just I think getting out there and focusing on, those two subjects of astrophotography and landscapes because the weather is so changeable there has been occasions when we haven't had a huge amount of astrophotography so it's been really good to have the landscape long exposure type backup plan so most Mm -hmm, of my workshops mm -hmm. that I teach on my own now are landscape long exposure and astrophotography as a um a dual option Mm -hmm. um yeah, so because I've been out doing astro all this time and living in that, when I was living in that dark sky area, I would be up every day taking pictures in the morning, taking sunsets, sunrises, you know, and all of that all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got quite good at landscapes just as a byproduct. It wasn't my original intention. Um, <laughs> and then I got quite passionate about it. Um, I call myself a light chaser because all my pictures are about shooting for the light and the highlights Mm -hmm. um and i think my camera gear is particularly 
geared for that as well. Um, having an astro setup, it works mm-hmm. really well for landscapes the way I do things, which might not be mm-hmm. necessarily the perfect way to do things. But I do a lot of handheld landscapes. Okay. And a lot of the tutors in New Zealand that teach landscapes don't do that. So I think that's also a wee bit of my point of difference is I can teach long exposure on the tripod, but I can also teach handheld um you know landscapes and a lot of that is and you'll know this when you're out is just waiting for the scene mm-hmm. to be the conditions that you're after and looking for i absolutely love getting to a place where i don't need a tripod because the scene is just spectacular yeah and that's the shot and you'll get take one or two photos and you know you've got it you know yes. um, i think that's why i love the adventure side of workshops so a lot of my workshops are a adventure workshops where we'll walk somewhere um you know i'm not one of these tutors that just pulls up the car and gets out and takes a shot Mm -hmm. i like to take people for a walk Mm -hmm. um or you know not necessarily strenuous walk but you know a bit of and it's a bit of a challenge on the mindset so sometimes i might take someone into like the tasman glacier which is a flattish slight uphill walk for 25 minutes it's not a hard walk but for some people they're not used to that that's in mm-hmm. a different environment than a glacial glacial environment um and they're not but sometimes people are not fit for it mm-hmm. and they do it and they get a cool photo and then they realize wow actually i was able to achieve that and we just take our time and a lot of my photography workshops are actually about um going at the pace of the slowest person which okay. is what you do when you're doing tramping and hiking. It's mm-hmm. it's really important that the, the group is together. Um, I'm very much about team having, you know, everyone together doing doing stuff together, making a plan, making itinerary. And we have an itinerary for our workshops, but they usually change based on the weather. So we yes. get the whole crew together if we've got eight or nine people. And, you know, usually there's myself and another tutor on that occasion with that many people. We'll... Um, you know, talk with them about what they want and what shots they want to get. And it's very much about them. What -hmm. did they come here for? What did they invest into this for? What do they want to learn? Uh, And then there's also the post-processing, obviously, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think we we do a pretty good job of it. I work with another lady here, Megan Maloney, who's very good at workshops as well. We quite often um, take people on a four-day adventure, and that seems to be quite a good number, three nights, um, four days and people get a lot of shots during that time um, sometimes if we've got a lot of um, great conditions we'll just shoot the whole time and then we'll do some online editing processing more yep. detail later on um, so we're pretty flexible it's always about making sure people get value for what they've invested and you know it's exciting I, I get excited to see them excel, you know, I want, yeah. I teach them everything I know, which I think is also not always the way it goes on workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I want them to be better than me. I want them to excel. I want to see them get that banger um, yeah. of a shot, you know. So. Uh, and you know what? I mean, it's, it's about expectations versus reality. And I think if somebody doesn't have much of an expectation going in a workshop or somebody has an extreme high expectation going in a workshop, then it's important that you know what they're looking for because then they, they won't mm. leave disappointed, you know. So like and you, you mentioned when I was doing my research on, you know, it's about a, a fully immersive experience for your participants. And I mean, that's part of it, I imagine. Tell me a bit more about that approach. 
Yeah, so usually we all stay together at one place, um, which is good because then they connect in with each other. And, you know, as you said earlier, people become adventure besties where mm-hmm. they become friends and they might end up going shooting together afterwards. Uh, what happens for us as well is that because we are, um, you know, I'm the same at home as I am on a workshop, as I am on a professional stage, I'm just me. So mm-hmm. they get mm-hmm. me swearing and all. <laughs> yep, good. They get, yep. get me as they find me as I am. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that they love that because it's, you know, we have meals together, we hang out. When, we're not the kind of tutors that go, okay, well, we're done at this time, we're off, you know. We actually yeah. spend time with our people and we have a lot of fun. You know, we have a lot of jokes. We're in a van together a lot of the time, depending yeah. on the situation. And, um, you know, you get a bit of a theme going and everybody has a bit of a laugh. And mm-hmm. generally, even if somebody's not 100% comfortable with that, they generally end up being opening themselves up by the end of it anyway um, yeah. because everybody's so genuine. I guess you attract you people like yourself to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've never really had any sort of tough clients necessarily that I would say was difficult because everybody, mm-hmm. I suppose we give them an itinerary at the start where this is what we're going to be doing so they have an understanding. Um, and, you know, if they come and say, well, hey, I would like time with you to do X, Y, and Z, we'll give them that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all about communication. It's just like being a parent, really. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. I quite often joke about that me with my flask and my cup of tea getting around <laughs> like the camp mother um you know everyone laughs at me because I have and I have little goodie bags and treats and stuff and rewards for being good yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. just you know it's just making it fun and you know you when you're in the middle of nowhere there's nothing like a, a chocolate bar or a cup of tea out of the flask is there so absolutely yeah, yeah. um and I think you know you just treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself i guess yeah and and you know what i mean it's about having as you say you know the full adventure because like if you're going to a place you it's not a case that it's like a nine to five you know i mean you're going to be shooting on social hours you know you're going to be up all night you're going to be you know sleeping when other people are awake you're going to be eating at different times you're going to learn more from each other and you'll learn also from the participants too, I think, which is an important yes. part. If you know, if you're open to, you know, meeting with other people, and I've noticed that even on, you know, people that I've met over the years, that you know, I learn from others as well. And I go, geez, I never thought of that. You know, or yes. even as you say, you know, you could bring ten people to one area, they all get ten different images. Yeah, but you know what? One other person has their camera six inches lower or six inches to the left, and it completely changes the image because it's a far better balanced image, and the composition really comes into it then. And I yes. think that's where, you know. You, you, you leave with the images, but your memories are more of the people and the experiences that you've had along the way. The images are something that you can look at and go, oh, I remember that day, it was absolutely Baltic or my feet were sore or we had yeah. such a laugh that morning at breakfast or whatever <laughs> it might be, you know? So yeah. like, the, the images are one thing I think, which, you know, it brings back all those different memories. And something I want to kind of touch on, and you mentioned it there a second ago, is, you know, post-processing. Because somebody who starts out, you know, taking an image. And as you say, most people have the camera on uh, automatic. And then they discovered the A. And, you know, I've joked with this before is A for awesome, you know, and like (laughs) P is for professional, you know, and M is for masterclass or, oh my God, no, that's far too, too complicated. Um, When you start getting the the, the image, or most people again would shoot in JPEG and they wouldn't shoot in raw. And they're trying to say, okay, why, why should I shoot in raw? So like, 
talk to me a bit about the approach in 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 in, in post processing because I know when I first started out in post processing, you know, I was like, oh wow, look at these sliders, look what that can do, oh wow, and you know, it only goes to ten. I want it to go to eleven. You know, I mean, yes, it, it, it's not about that. It's about subtleties I've learned over the years. Like, but talk to me a bit about your approach in post processing in the field and how you help people there. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's exciting to and funny you say all of that because it's exactly what I talk about. And I guess everybody has their own way of doing things in their in their own style, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I personally um, love a, a picture that's been shot well in camera, and then it's edited as natural as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just me. Um, with Astro, probably there's a wee bit more pushing of the slider here and there, depending on what you're doing. But um, mm-hmm. even then, I, you know, most of my Astro shots are single images. I don't stack. It's not my jam. But, you know, I teach people to stack if they want, but it's not what I do. And I guess having mm-hmm. my can- Canon set up, I, I don't really need to. So, um, you know, I don't do composites, but I can teach people how to do it if they want. So I spend quite a bit of time... At, when I first get to know people asking them questions so I get an understanding of what they're looking for what they're wanting to learn what type of shots they want to shoot we actually do a survey before the workshop um, asking them a whole bunch of questions about what gear they've got what do they want to learn what level do they feel they're at with their post-processing and that and so you know when they come we already have a bit of an understanding about Mm -hmm. that Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it depends on what you use. Like I use Lightroom mostly. I do a wee bit of Photoshop here and there, but I'm not big on Photoshop. Um, a lot of people here use Capture One. Um, just depends on what people are into, I guess. But mm-hmm. for me, I think it's um, it depends also on your camera gear. So you know, if you're shooting a DSLR versus a you know the latest um, mirrorless, different editing again sometimes, and different settings when you're shooting. Um, that's actually something quite interesting as well and you can learn a lot from each other and as you said before you know I had a guy recently on a workshop who was really exceptional at one particular area and he had a completely different camera set up and a Fuji film which I haven't shot on before um, and you know other people were asking questions and I just said you know what would you mind at Jared explaining that would you be happy to share your knowledge because he's amazing and he loved it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about workshops is that you you know you actually can get all of that information from each other and we had another guy on that same event who was from the photography society incredible um, businessman you know different conversation about business and how to do things you know and everybody's learning Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just so cool when you get that knowledge. So post-processing, we do probably two or three sessions, depending on how much shooting we're doing throughout our workshops. So we'll do one on Astro, one on landscapes, basically starting, because most of our clients are beginners or intermediates there, um, starting with all the basics and editing, show them a couple of edits. This is what we do. Here's a raw file. This is what we're doing with it. Um, so we'll do that. And then the third session is a bit more of them getting their images out, actually doing some editing and, you know, while we're sitting there kind of thing. Um, My big sort of, I guess, bugbear thing that I um, wish people would not do so much is use the saturation slider. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? Um, But I think what I've discovered is, and you'll know this, is that a lot of people don't have the right calibrated screen. So that is actually something that we teach a lot about. Um, because they think they're doing a good job on their editing and then they don't realise that their, their computer is actually not calibrated and then once you, we often we'll let them hook it up to us, we take a screen with us, hook it up to our screen and then they go, oh my goodness, like wow, that's actually incredible difference in colour. 
also every phone that we have these days has a different color. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. iPhones versus Samsungs, for example, totally different colors. And I quite often mm-hmm. do this with my partner because he's an iPhone and I'm a Samsung and I'll go, oh, can I have a look at that picture I just shared on your phone? And it just looks so different, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, so I yeah. think this is part of the big challenge with this is that if you know it's right on your calibrated screen, that's what you go with. Um, yeah, also not that easy sometimes. So um, we teach them all that. I also, I do a lot of printing and sell a lot of prints and canvases. So I teach them a bit about that as well, how to Very edit good. to print, which is also different again. Um, and, you know, you might need to put a bit more saturation or a bit more contrast or whatever it is you're using to print it. Mm-hmm. I always talk to them about when they're first new to it, doing, you know, 10 pictures they love, printing them out as six by fours on the right paper with the right inks so you can get an idea of what they look like um, before you start, you know, printing out a big 1.5 metre yeah. image and then you realise it's not what you love. Um, so, yeah, we, we teach mostly to shoot the best image and camera as possible, obviously, and, um, you know, less is more with the editing. If they want to do stacking and all of that sort of stuff, then, you know, we'll teach them how to do that as well. But um, I don't know, you could spend three hours editing one image or three minutes, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. I think for me, I'm busy. I haven't got time for that. I do appreciate when someone does spend three hours on editing an image when I see it afterwards and go, wow, that, and, you know, that's art a lot mm-hmm. of the time. They might have mm-hmm. done it as a composite and they've, you know, shot different foreground and all the rest of it. I love that to see and look at and I can mm-hmm. teach it, but it's not what I shoot myself. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess every there's a free license really with all of that. I, I did a bit of graphic design before I was a photographer, so I had a good understanding of colour. Um, I also feel like people use the yellow slider a lot more, the tone a lot more than they possibly realise sometimes and it comes out you know, obviously looking a fake orange. So yeah, yeah, I'd probably be more recommending people to use their tone curve and small adjustments on highlights and lights and things like that, rather than you know whipping up those those main basic tab sliders. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not designed to go to eleven. You know, that's no, the, the big thing. no, no. So that, I don't know that, if that, that answers your question, but um. Yeah, no, it does, I, yeah it does. I I also really have in my mind is you know use the clipping tools at the top of top of the histogram as well. Obviously, it's yeah. helpful, but um, a lot of people don't know that when you print something out, if it's you know if your clipping's out of whack, then it doesn't print any color. So yeah. um, you know, just having all those little things in mind and using your brush if you need to, if you've got a small shaded area that's you know over the clipping, then. Um, brush that down a bit with a bit of shadow reduction or blacks or whatever just Mm -hmm. small small as you know I use a lot of masking if I'm going to do you know something that's got layers of color Mm -hmm. and light I'll put in my um, radial filter on a certain area and I'll use my brush or whatever and I'll just spend I could sometimes on an image that I love I might spend 10 minutes just doing that and Mm -hmm selected areas of light um, and I think that's probably just the wee extras that makes a difference also crucial to check if you've got any lens spots mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing because you can have this incredible image printed out and there's like three big fat lens spots on it so yeah 
yeah, yeah. And you know, unfortunately, particularly if you shoot Sony, you have that issue quite a lot because yeah, and you know, if you're um, using Photoshop, I use Content to Wear a lot to take out a fence post or mm-hmm. or a cloud that's over the corner of the image. So another thing is, you know, your corn on your actual four corners, you want to make sure there's like, if you can, no random piece of cloud coming in there that's half a cloud. Get rid of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, just so that you've got, um, same as, no you know, down the bottom corner, if you've got like a little branch or a twig coming in that doesn't really mean anything, get rid of it. Just mm-hmm. because people's eye then is drawn to the middle of the image or the, wherever it is, the subject, um, mm-hmm. you know, rather than some random thing on the corner. So I think that leading line is obviously really important. If you've got a, a landscape with a leading line, obviously you're going to get a lot more emotive attachment from people if you're mm-hmm. sharing stuff on social media it's really hard sometimes because i do a lot of big stitch panoramas so i might have 55 images stitched together but on social media it looks nothing because yeah. it's so tiny yeah. um, whereas on my big screen it looks incredible and i'm like oh i love that picture you know so i think that's really hard sometimes you've got to choose what you put online for those types of reasons or yeah, um, maybe chop them into sections and then post them as, you know, a panorama thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's another whole conversation, really. But um, I think and, sometimes we shoot with a wide-angle lens and things get lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. always wise to consider shooting two shots. So still do your wide shot. If you're going to do that as a print and a canvas on a, on a wall, it would be amazing. But on social media, it's not going to look amazing. So you might want to also zoom into, you know, a 200 mil shot as well um, to get the actual context of the actual subject that you're shooting and maybe post them together um, along those Mm -hmm. lines. I don't know. I mean, everyone's different, but I do also shoot a bit of kitchen splashbacks and stuff like that, which I'll zoom in and shoot a big grid, stitch them all together. Um, I, I use back button focus quite a lot which seems to be a dying art these days, actually. <laughs> Not many people yeah. use it. Uh, but I love that, and I'll shoot a lot of my, um, a lot. Of, I guess because I'm DSLR as well. I'm not, I'm not, I do have a, um EOSR, which I've just got, but um, a lot of my stuff's been shot on the 6D. And so I've got, I use a lot of things off, switched off. I like manual. Mm-hmm. I like everything mm-hmm. manual. I like to do it myself, um, whereas a lot of people like to rely on the camera. They might shoot TV or they might shoot um, aperture priority, and that's fine, but I never do that. So mm-hmm. I think the more you shoot on manual and force yourself, that's how you learn everything. Um, and it's those times when you shoot a bunch of stuff thinking it's good and you get home and it's shit. <laughs> you go, yes. oh, what? Damn it. You know? And, and, you, and you know what, right? It's interesting you say there because you mentioned earlier on about social media, and I think that's an important one as well just to kind of touch on because, you know, people can get hung up on posting an image on social media and how the image is going to be perceived on social yeah. media. I mean, yeah. you know, I've seen it so many times over the years and I actually, we've made a number of podcasts about it as well. Social media is a great tool. It's free. Don't complain about it, but don't also yeah. hang your coat on it and rely on it for what yeah. it's going to be because, you know, social media companies, they're, they're, they're doing something which is, you know, they're, they're playing on an emotion that people are looking for those likes and it's looking for the, you know, the, the, the emotional connection and the, the, the gratification of, oh, this image gets 20 likes or this image gets 200 likes. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that it's a better image as far as you're concerned. It just may be more appealing to the audience. And if the audience sees what you saw 
and why you took the image, then great. But if they don't, it makes no difference. You still like the image. You still post the image. So I think yeah. social media is something that can be a really good help, but also can be a curse because people can get so tied up in it. And yeah, I could go on about that for hours. But I mean, look, yeah. you know, you mentioned that you wanted to kind of touch upon social media. So yeah, what's, what's your thoughts yourself? Well, I've always felt like um, social media is a software program. So it's a really yeah. interesting statement that because if you feel like social media is an emotional place, which is what a lot of people use it for, you'll come unstuck because yeah. you'll get upset about something at some stage. Whereas yeah. if you, you think of it that it's a it's a software program and you choose to put things on it to share them with whoever... Yeah. Um, it's a different way of thinking about what you post also because I'm big on this with my children every single thing you post is there forever so mm-hmm. you know so I think what as a photographer what's important is people do this thing where they take 12 they post 12 pictures of the same thing you know all together in one post and I'm like oh god mm-hmm. I have to actually search through all of that and find one that I like so I don't bother um, so mm-hmm. I think that's number one on Facebook. I see that all the time where people will share a whole bunch of stuff in the same place. So just choose one banger, the best picture um, that you love. doesn't matter whether other people like it or not. It's You're doing it. This is what I started out with when I started. If I like it, you'll see it. If I don't like it, you'll never see it. I don't mm-hmm. care about all those other things that people post for. Uh, because my intuition and my heart is with the picture, if that makes sense. And I believe yeah. that in an energy of that will attract the people who actually love your work. So if you use it as a tool and as a platform, a software program where you share your heart, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and your, your best work, then you'll just automatically attract those right people eventually it might take a mm-hmm. while it takes about two years now to actually even build a social media channel it's not like it used to be so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you just got to keep on posting because you like it and i'm the same with that with t- any photos shoot it because you like it mm-hmm. you're not shooting it for anyone else unless you're doing a commercial job and you've got a brief then mm-hmm. do it for yourself um and i think unfortunately we you know we kind of are in this um this world where social media owns people a wee bit and they think that, you know, you're their person or you're their photographer or whatever. Um, and, and that can be a trap that people get stuck into, I think. Um, you know, and there's all these competitions everywhere. You'll see this all the time, you know, this award, that award, this award. That's great. And it's cool to participate in it. But the chances of actually winning anything like that are very slim for most people, even mm-hmm. if you're an amazing photographer. So don't get caught up in that either because I see this all the time now. There are so many photography award competitions these days which are actually for the person running them, often a business, Mm -hmm. where they're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. But don't feel like that defines you as a photographer because it doesn't. You know, Mm -hmm. I could enter every single competition and I'll never win because I don't do a composite. I don't use a tracker. I don't have... Um, stacked images, ruddy rat. I don't really care what people think about that mm-hmm. because I shoot what I choose, how I want to do it for my own reasons. And I think that's really important with social media. Um, and just choose your best work to showcase. So that would be my other thing. People 
post something because they feel they have to post something, but it's mediocre. Mm -hmm. So it makes all their really good images not as, yeah. So, you know, if you go, okay, I went out on this trip and I told everybody I was going and it was amazing and I'm I'm not real happy with my pictures, don't post it. You're not, Mm -hmm. you've got no obligation to post that. You know, I've done that a few times this year, actually, because I kind of lost my mojo a wee bit over the beginning of this year was the hardest for me um, mentally and in business um, since COVID because everybody forgot about you that, you know, 2020, 2021, everybody was all over each other and, you know, we'll support you and and that was awesome. And, you know, everyone's in the same bus 2022, no one gives a shit. Everyone's trying to survive and, you know, mm-hmm. figure out their thing, and that's fine. But I just didn't even get my camera out hardly for the first four months of the year. Um, and you know, I was like, actually, you know what? It's okay if I don't post this week. Mm-hmm. And so I think that taught me a lot about myself and about you know how I use my socials and my algorithms and my my uh, what do you call it? My uh, you know statistics are just the same as they were before, and who cares anyway? Because at the end of the day, so long as I'm okay and I'm doing, working on myself, which I've done a lot this year, actually, done a lot of work on myself about what do I want to be doing for the next 10 years and how is it going to work and how what do I have to do to achieve that. Um, and if social media disappeared tomorrow, which this is another interesting thing, a real good mate of mine had an amazing social media channel, 20-something thousand followers, awesome guy never did anything wrong Mm -hmm. his the channel got deleted overnight gone that's happened to a few photographers now um you know you can't rely on that you can't have that as your reliance so i'm a big stickler about having people's email address that's my old school marketing brain i guess um you know different ways to communicate with people even I'm not really good at doing the newsletter, but, um, you know, I'm trying to get better at that myself. But just having the old newsletter or, the, you know, or having multiple channels to post stuff on. So if one disappears, then you they're all just else. tools, all yeah. just tools, all just stuff to use. And as you say, grateful for it because it's free, generally. Um, I do a bit of boosted Facebook ads sometimes, but I haven't done that this year, but um Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you can't rely on it. Um, you, you can, yeah. and you know, you, you say there, and it's interesting you mentioned that it's a software program. Absolutely, I 100% agree with you, and you've touched on something else as well, I think, which is really, really important. Um, people spend so much time, years, in fact, building up a social media following, which yeah. is not in their control. It's in the yeah. control of somebody else. You know, yeah. the algorithm, yeah, we may joke and say, oh, I, I don't care about the algorithm, but the algorithm does, doesn't care about you either. And the algorithm, yeah. you can do, you know, a lot of work. And I've seen it over the years and even more so in 2022 where people like with Instagram as an example, the, the big exodus from Instagram because people with 50,000 followers are getting 100 likes on an image. And that, that means that nobody is seeing the image because Instagram is choosing not to show them. By having mm-hmm. somebody on your own database, your own email newsletter or whatever you might call it, uh, they're people who want to hear from you. They're people who've given you their email address because they like what you've got to say. They like to see what you've got to share and such like that. And, yeah. you know, um, recently, you know, I, you know, I don't know if you're on it or not yet, but, you know, you've got this migration away from Instagram and over to Vero. Yeah. And Vero is something which, you know, I'm on and I like it because it's actually good because people that I like, I get to see their images. I don't see... A, 
crap load of stupid ads for stuff which is just annoying me that I see on Instagram. Yeah. Whereas if I look on Vero, I'm looking at images and I'm not getting distracted. And I can actually immerse myself in photography when I'm looking at that app. And that's where, you know, I look and then kind of go, oh, wow, okay, I didn't know that this place existed or I didn't know about this shot. And you go and you discover more people who are photographers. You're not discovering brands that are paying Instagram, for argument's sake, you know, to be showing you something which you've no interest in whatsoever. But for some reason, this algorithm has taught that you have an interest in I don't know, memory foam socks for your big toe. Okay. Yeah. I've never, yeah. I've never spoke to anybody about my big toe. Why am I seeing something about my big toe? I don't know. And that's, that just annoys the hell out of me. You know what I mean? Um, so I think photography and it's true, it's form. You're absolutely right. You know, old school is still the right way. Social media is there. Yes. But you still have to have your contact and the people for having their contact with you, because I've even noticed it myself. Some people going, geez, Darren, I haven't seen you post in a while. I goes, what? I'm posting all the time. I haven't seen any of your images. And then yeah. all of a sudden I'm going, okay, well, how do I now get them to be able to see what I've been posting? Because they've got a clear interest in what I've been posting. So yeah. you, you've no control over social media whatsoever. And if anybody thinks that they have, it can be gone overnight. It can either be hacked. And I did a podcast in relation to a big thing that was happening a number of months back on Instagram and how easy people's uh, accounts are being hacked. You couldn't get it back. So you could spend years yeah. building something up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a couple of good examples at the moment. I'm on Vero as well, but to be fair, I haven't spent much time there yet, but I I need to get some more posts on there. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I'm a big believer in consistency, right? So I've been on social media a long time since it started um, Mm -hmm. and with my business. And, you know, I'm a big believer in consistency. So when everyone did a mass exodus from Instagram, I just kept doing my usual thing. And I'm getting quite good results on there. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's been to my advantage, to be fair. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I've got like, I don't know, I've only got like 2,700 followers or something. Um, But they're people that know me. Mm -hmm. They're people that have met me, know me, seen me, heard me talk on a podcast, whatever. You know, they're real followers, I call them. Yeah. I don't have thousands, but I have good good engagement. So my engagement the other day was 46,000 accounts and I've got 2,700 Wow. followers um and it's quite consistently like that anyway who knows but the other the other thing that's happening now is the mass exodus to twitter for the nfts and all, all of that which is fine but now look what's happening to twitter so mm-hmm. you know people have spent i've seen people i know spend their whole life for the last two years on twitter um and building that's and been an investment they've made and that's cool but what's going to happen to it now nobody knows but, you know, I think if you just keep on being consistent on all the platforms mm-hmm. and even Facebook to some degree, a lot of people don't even do Facebook anymore. A lot of my clients are not on Facebook, actually, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll still keep posting there. And I think the benefit of uh, Facebook at the moment, I don't I don't even think Facebook will be around in a few years But for, for this, but um, the benefit to um, Facebook is the groups. And I've yep. met some amazing people through groups. Um, you know, you see other people's stuff. You might learn something that you didn't know, etc. cetera. Um, you know, and I think that in New Zealand, because we're a small community, we actually have some really cool groups where mm-hmm. a lot of people that you know or you don't, might not have met them in real life, but you follow them and you know they live in a certain location. And then when you go there, you might meet up and have a coffee. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that kind of thing is that networking is really powerful. Um yeah, so I don't know, like it's a big thing. I 
I think in the end of the day we're actually starting to go back to the old website or yeah. start your own app or whatever. Um, I think, you know, at the moment people are loving podcasts because it's an easy way to multitask when you're doing something else. I don't really think that's probably going to change that much. At the the end of the day, people want to connect with other people in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a business owner and as a smart business owner, post on all the platforms because Mm – People that are into whatever they're into, you know, if people only do Instagram, that's where they'll find you. If people only do Facebook, which a lot of my demographic um, is probably mums on Facebook to some degree, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of my hiring luxury clients, they don't do social media. Mm -hmm. So you have to have their email address to yeah. communicate you know yeah so it's all it's all quite a lot of work isn't it um and mm-hmm. i guess that's the thing if you haven't got the passion for it you will just go Ugh, can't be bothered i see photographers all the time who are real exceptional photographers but they can't be bothered putting in the effort for marketing mm-hmm. and i've said this to a guy i know you're so good at what you do you could be doing x y and z and you'd be getting you know other clients because of it and he's like i can't be bothered um you know and i get that too because we're all busy but um at the end of the day there's no one right way to do anything and i think at the end of the day if you do what you do and you own it like i kind of own my instagram feed and i send all my clients there i just tell people if you want to see my work just go to instagram because that's where it is Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. just always use that because i find it's quite a good visual grid Um, absolutely Absolutely. And you know, yeah. it's, good to, it's good to have it in that way too. Um, you know, because if you say, if you own it and you say, okay, this is what I'm going to use it for, for my benefit, as opposed to it becoming an owner. It's just a big brochure, mate. It's just a big yep. brochure, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. how I think about it. And, you know, it doesn't matter who follows me and who doesn't. Or I've got some quite interesting people that follow my work and I just go, oh, yeah, cool. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, just move on. Yeah, exactly. You know? And actually, speaking of moving on, let's go away from the social media side of things, right? Um, So tell me, have you, like we've mentioned about, you know, some of your shots you've taken in astro point of view, you've got a great backyard and such like that. We've mentioned about going global and you haven't gone there with a camera. Have you got a bucket shot in mind that you want to get for yourself that you haven't gotten yet? And are you planning it over your next 10 years? Is something that's going to wait until the kids are grown up that you want to go get it? Or is there a shot that you said, I definitely want to have that in my portfolio? Um, yeah, it's a great question. There's quite a few on that list, I think. Um, obviously, overseas, you know, Iceland and mm-hmm. all the shots you see over there, there's, there's you know, there's the, the places. But here in New Zealand, um, and it's a funny little shot, but it's one that plagues me, there's a place called the Meraki Boulders. It's at the sea. There's these big egg boulders, the big, big round boulders that are in a row that have come up over you know thousands of years and mm-hmm. they're on the beach and a lot of people go there for um tourism and things and the sea comes in there and the milky way's rising nice. in there there's a little bit of light pollution here and there you can also get it see the aurora from there and it's quite challenging because you've got to make sure you're there on the right day with a clear sky with the tide in the right place because if the tide's mm-hmm. too far in it doesn't work mm-hmm. um Generally, your tripod will move because the tide comes in over it at some point. So, you you know, it's a really challenging yeah, shot. It's a challenge, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I tried to get it this year and miserably failed, actually. So, um, 
yeah it was one of those ones where you're just like damn (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i've got to go and the other thing about that place is it gets really foggy so you might have this ultimate forecast you drive all the way there it's like about three at three hour drive or something um and you know the forecast is for a beautiful clear sky but it's foggy and it doesn't go away at all so mm, mm. yeah so that would be probably my my one astro shot that i've been trying to get for a long time um i also had this year big plans to do a lot of astro panoramas the weather just hasn't been favorable at the right time mm-hmm. um you know it's just been one of those winters we've had so much snow so much rain uh just hasn't worked out how I wanted it to and I wasn't able to be there on the right day and all of that so I really do struggle with that sometimes because I'm I'm, you know I've got these goals and things I want to tick off for the season absolutely um and it just doesn't happen and then my kids got sick and everyone had COVID and rah rah and it was like but you you know what isn't it good to have that in your in in your in your visualization that you say okay you know what I want that I know I can yeah. get it. It's not going to go anywhere. You just got to wait for the right conditions, the right timing to allow you to be able to get there. And yeah. I, and I think it's important as well to have that because it gives you something to, you know, to to strive for. It gives you something, as I said, stick it on the dartboard, say, okay, that will be mine. Yeah. I will get that. Absolutely. You know? And I think what I'm learning too is that because we're obviously our weather is very different to yours in terms of we're at two opposite ends of the, yeah. of the, of the world. But um, yeah. You know, it's learning how to also navigate if I went to those other places, what would I be needing to look for or learn about? You know, we have a, a cold wind come through. We call it a southerly. You probably call it a northerly. I don't know what you do. No, but, you know, yeah. like it's yeah. completely different opposite thinking. And where's the Milky Way going to be sitting? And how's, you know, how much above the horizons are going to be and all that? So um, I do use photo pills a wee bit, but I, I like to learn a lot of this stuff with my own brain. And I think that's something that um, I did right from the start mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. I learned how to do a lot of things without the apps. For the first year that I had did astrophotography, a mate of mine, Jordan, said, don't use any of the apps, just do it with your own brain and learn where the Milky Way is every month and mm-hmm. what you know where it's rising and all the rest of it. And I did that because I thought it was a good idea. And a lot of people don't even ever know where it's going to be rising. I find that mm-hmm. fascinating mm-hmm. Um, because they've always used an app. So yeah. that's one wee thing I teach people is go a whole season without using the app. Use your, you know, use your own mind. And then when you're out and about, you'll, you know, you'll find compositions and you'll, you know, get cool foregrounds and go, oh, in April next year, this would be a cool spot for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, always be scouting. Yeah, yeah. So I like yeah. the challenge of that. Yeah. I, I, I have a question now for you, right? It's a new it's a new relatively new question I've introduced into the podcast, but I want to you know ask it to every single guest and I'm excited to hear your thoughts in relation to it as well. From obviously, you know, with your view from an astral point of view and also from the landscape point of view. And it's a question that is it the photographer that creates the image or is it the scene that presents itself? <laughs> I was a bit stumped on this one. He shit, is this a trick question? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, there's there's 50 answers to it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is uh, the photographer, I guess, your vision, your passion, your the way you think about it. Um, yeah, all the gear you're going to use, et cetera, because obviously that can have an, an impact as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I'll say the photographer. 
Okay. No, and, and there's it's no a right bit or of both. Answer, right? It yeah. is. It is a bit of both, and that's what I generally yeah. had in the answers that people have given me. You know, yeah, uh, and being the, in the, the right re- place at the right time. Sometimes, precisely. Isn't it? Yeah. That and that's exactly the reason I asked that question because you could go for months and months and months trying to plan that bucket shot, yeah. and I could just rock up, and I go, oh, look at that, click, and oh, I, I get the shot, and Happens that's where I think time. you know. And, and that's the dichotomy of that question, you know, because it is it a case that I could have all the gear and no idea, or I could have the minimal amount of gear, but I'm just so lucky that I'm there right at the right time when the scene is presented itself and I get the same shot. Maybe yeah. I get the same shot. Maybe I don't get the same shot, but I get a shot that I'm happy with. So that's why I asked that question. I think and yeah, your answer absolutely. is, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. I just, I was like I say, I was intrigued to hear your thoughts in relation to it. And I, I would agree with happened- you. That's actually happened to me on that same bucket list place, actually. This guy was there. He'd just come here from the UK, and um, he just asked if he could stand with us, me and my mate. And I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. And we're just having a yarn anyway. He got the shot, and I didn't. And I'm like, damn it. (laughs) Just where (laughs) he was standing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There you go. Case in point. Case in point. All right. So, look, um, we're going to take one final break, and I'll be right back. I've got three staple questions I ask every guest, and I'm really looking forward now to hearing your answers. So I'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have with some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the final part of this week's episode of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Rachel, like I said there from the uh, previous break, I have three questions, and I'm looking forward now to hearing your answers to these staple three questions of the podcast. First one is, and everybody has one, what's yours? A funny photography story. Oh well, my funny photography story is keeping it real, eh? We're all, we're all, uh, we've all got our uh, um, stories. But um, recently, probably the latest one, I was at a, co- a photography conference in New Zealand, and I met a really cool dude um, called Paul Holan. He's an amazing, uh, award-winning aerial photographer in Australia. He's actually Kiwi originally, but he lives in um, Tasmania. And uh, he and my he ended up getting a, a ride to um, the airport with me after the um, conference, and there was myself, my partner Andrew, and my best friend Stace and um, Paul and I, and we we're driving down the coast, and we got this phone call from the um, heli pilot at the Kaikoura airport saying that there was a southern right whale and baby calf in the in the bay. You know where were we? Could would we be keen to? jump on the heli and you know get a couple of shots and this was to my partner Andrew and um, he goes oh, I'll actually got three other photographers with me he's like yeah sweet drive straight here now so we drove to the airport um at you know in a hurry time was at the minimum and um Andrew's like oh you know you should shoot on the R6 I'll give you a go on my R6 righto okay it's all set up ready to go righto you know this is completely against all my rules of shooting with someone else's camera gear uh-huh. Get in the heli, um, you know, snapping away, taking all these amazing pictures and, uh, you know, doors off, had the door open, everything. It was absolutely incredible. This beautiful um, whale that was quite a rare um, thing to see. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, get back to the house. Everyone's downloading all their pictures and, you know, wanting to see who's got the best photo. Jesus, just about every single photo of mine was out of focus. I was so <laughs> gutted. I was so upset about it. I actually threw my toys out of the cot. They were laughing at me. 
<laughs> and I was like, this is exactly why I don't use other people's cameras. Um, oh, no. <laughs> anyway, I found this one photo that was in focus, and it was a really good photo, this one shot okay. out of all the photos. Um, and what had happened is that my nose had tipped onto the focal point on the screen, and it had gone okay. like right up to the top right-hand corner of the focus instead of in the, you know, in the middle. Yeah, in the centre, um, yeah. But I didn't realise because I'd never used it used it before that that was a thing. I <laughs> stick with the old manual. <laughs> anyway, um, so then it became a hilarious conversation about all the um, times that we'd you know people had done a big job and how they hadn't had a card in the camera or you know did this yeah. whole Kelly Kelly yeah. job and we're out in the middle of you know nowhere and got back and realised I used someone else's camera that there was no. No card in the camera, ruddy rah. So it just became a laugh in the end. But I was really upset about it. Anyway, I shared this one picture on the socials, and it ended up getting picked up by Canon. So it was hilarious. The whole thing was just <laughs> so funny. I was just like, oh, you only need one good picture. You only need one good picture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as you that say, the um, one. I know, right? And it, you know, as you say, Canon for life. So um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was that's that's the next question actually which is what gear do you shoot with so we know it's canon and you've yeah. alluded to it anyway in the type of body <laughs> that you shoot at the moment and you've just gotten the osr so tell us what's yeah. in your what's in your canon bag yep so because i've done a lot of astro i've got two um two uh 6d mark ones because when i take clients out they'd often need a camera so i had two of those i have had a 5d mark four and previously which I've just recently sold because I don't need it. Need it, and uh, at the moment I'm just started on a EOS R, which should be quite good for Astro. Great camera. So I haven't haven't actually given it a good whirl at that yet, but um, bigger goals to get a, an R5 at some point. I'm actually going to be doing some Astro workshops for Canon next year, so that's pretty cool. And another good. another genre. Um, and yeah, so I'm looking towards probably going to the R. Five at some stage but yeah i'm Very not good. big on gear um i mean i love my canon gear i'm a bit of as a bit like you're a canon for life but i don't see myself changing uh after looking at all the other camera gear that my clients have used and stuff i, I love how it works and what it does and mm -hmm. i love I the color the yeah i love yeah i love the color i can operate my 6d fully in the dark without a torch at any yeah. time um so you know i love all that practicality of it um and I don't think I'll ever sell those cameras. I think there's something that I'll always keep. One thing that's happening at the moment, which is really exciting for me, is all my children want to learn photography. So all of a sudden we've come up with this project that we're doing together and I've just bought a couple of cheap Wii Canon um, DSLRs for them to start on. Um, and one of them wants to do some filming and video. So I've actually just got her a Wii Olympus travel camera because I had one before and it's really good mm -hmm. for that. Um, and keeping in mind for them that at the moment they just want something small they can chuck in their backpack rather than a big, you know, big set of gear. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll probably keep those 6Ds for them eventually if they want to do something with it. And um, we've got this bit of a travel project that we're doing to the North Island and we'll Very get good. them into it. And obviously having all the same lenses and stuff, it makes it make sense to, Much easier. You know, yeah, to stick with that. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing for me with, um staying with dslr as well and i guess it'll eventually have to change but 
I just love how it shoots. I don't want AI. I don't want anyone telling me how to do things. I like everything manual. <laughs> well, so uh, my partner thinks I'm a dinosaur. He's like, get, get with the program. We don't do that anymore. I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I shoot with an EOSR uh, and I shoot manual. And the one thing that has been a game changer for me is the focus speaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it really, really does change the outlook in relation to the image. You keep every single aspect of Canon that you'd have. I, I have a 60 and I have an EOSR. I still have my 60 originally from it. Uh, yeah. I haven't used my 60 since I've gotten the EOSR, but like that, I don't want to get rid of my 60 yeah. because I say, okay, you know, it means so much to me. I've gone through a lot with it. Um, yeah. And like, you probably will end up having to go down the route of mirrorless because Canon will stop making the DSLRs. Yeah. I mean, they've already said they're going to go with the RF mount lenses and that's what they're building going yeah. forward. The EF mounts are going to be obsolete, but yeah, Canon for life. Good on you. For exactly. And yeah, I guess yeah. you've brought up a point there that I have been through a lot with that camera. So probably there is a bit of attachment to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then the third question is our VSP. So it stands for a very solid product. It's a product you won't leave home without. And you put your name to it if you could. Doesn't have to be camera gear; it could be anything at all. What will you always have in your bag, and what would you swear by? Yeah, oh, it would have to be my Catman Do Adventure boots, because that gets me where I want to be. Um, you know, and I'm a big believer in in footwear and boots being really important, especially with Astro. I never get cold feet because I've mm -hmm. got the right boots, so that would yeah. be my yeah. Very good. Very, very good choice as well. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, people, they spend an absolute fortune on the camera gear and then they stand there uncomfortable wanting to go home, uh, you know, or yeah. get blisters on their feet or get wet feet or whatever. I mean, I've got um, a pair of boots which have been generally quite good. But in my last trip that I was in the north of Ireland, I got absolutely drenched, but I got drenched from the top down. So I didn't get drenched in puddles of water. I just got so soaked that it came down through my trousers and then thrown into the boots from the top. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's how wet I got. So yeah. That's I mean, wet. Yeah, that's wet. Okay, great product. So look, yeah, funny final two questions actually for you, Rachel, is you know, what's next for you and where can people find more information on you? Yep, awesome. Um, what's next for me is actually a lot more personal shooting. Um, I've been having this bit of a I talk to myself about what's next and mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've I've kind of uh, dropped my ball a wee bit on my own personal shooting last you know two or three years so I've got some projects that I want to shoot I've got a um, a DJI drone that I've got that I've got a, a project that I want to do on that as well which is an aerial photography um, passion project I've done a bit of work with the uh, what's called the Kaimanawa Wild Horses here in New Zealand. We have a, a wild horses um, band here that is protected and I've done two or three shoots with them before, but I want to add to my library Very good. Um, of that. And I, it's a bit of a um, community project, I suppose, as well. But I love mm -hmm. horses. So I grew up on horses, so I just set something I want to do. I've got a coffee table book in production at the moment, which nobody really knows about. So I'm really excited about that. Exclusive. Actually... There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've been commissioned to, um, to do it and by another company, which is really exciting. And, you know, really you kind good. of feel like when you get to that stage that you've actually got some good pictures if people mm -hmm. ask you to do something like that. Um, I've been really slack on my print um, website. So that's a, a big, pro big project. For me to get that properly up and running because i do sell quite a lot of prints and stuff and um i really want to just uh hone in on 
what would be if I bucket list projects that I would love to do um, this year and maybe just make some wee steps towards those. So um, probably do a bit more commercial work because I think I miss out on a lot of work because I'm not doing that. So that mm-hmm. might be something I will add to my to my box this year and uh, overseas workshop probably for 2025, 26. So just planning out some different things and, uh, yeah, just looking into, um, you know, maybe just redefining a few of my own personal projects. Yeah. You're not going to sit still, so are you? No. (laughs) Sleep when I'm dead, mate. (laughs) Oh, I just love it. I love it. I just, I don't know, every every single day is a great day, you know. Like, I'm so so blessed to be doing this for my life. And, you know, it took me, I was, what was I, 40, I was 45, was I? I? Yeah, 45 when I got my, no, sorry, how was it? 43 when I got my camera, so... Yeah. I got time to make up. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, 100%. You're going 150 miles an hour now from every single day going forward. And I suppose yeah. we kind of mentioned yeah. Uh, yeah. a couple of times there during it, but where can people find more information on you? Yep, so um, I have two websites, but the main one is nztraveladventure.com, which is where all my workshops are. And then I have my own uh, rachelgillespie.co.nz, which is my mentoring website so yeah pretty much in any of those for the mentoring if people wanted to do something like that they could come here and do it as a um a full immersion sort of a thing and then the, the actual online learning is done on the internet anyway over 12 weeks or so so yeah very good very good thank oh, but you I'll do so much I... for having me it's been amazing well, and excited to, uh, to meet you one day i'm sure you when you come into new zealand we'll take you to some cool glaciers and Get some Milky Way somethings. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know, like in New Zealand is some place I've wanted to visit for a number of times, actually. My wife um, spent around six months in total in New Zealand. Um, she was backpacking a number of years ago. And I remember just even looking at the photos she'd taken, travel photos, going, yeah, I'd like to go there. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'd like to see that. <laughs> so I might just take you up in that someday. And look, and for me, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. What I'll do is I'll put the links as well to your websites in the show notes so people can actually you know, click on those and find out more in relation to and see your uh, awesome work and obviously maybe attend some of the workshops as well that you offer. Uh, Thank you so much. Fantastic playground that you have there. So look, it's been a pleasure. I always sign out my podcast in an Irish phrase, which is bye for now, and it's Schlange Fall. So from me in Ireland to you in New Zealand, until we meet in person, Schlange Fall. Thank you. Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week. And remember... Keep shooting.